Good evening, everybody. And good evening to the rest of you, everybody's. It's wonderful to see you. Wasn't today a nice day? And we're looking forward to many more days like that. You know, spring's going to be here before you know it, and it's going to feel like it. So some of what we had today is just kind of a foretaste of that. I really, really enjoyed it. We're going to sing a song together, and after that we'll have a prayer and then begin our study. And I'll remind you, uh, here in this class, we're in a series of lessons that's dealing with what a church should be doing. And tonight we're going to talk about the idea of reaping the harvest. It's actually kind of the other side or maybe the fulfillment of what we talked about last week as we were sowing the seed. 625, 625. Zion's call sweetly rings over land and sea, bidding us look to realms above. While the light from the front turns to you and lead us to the call of love. Zion's call is ringing, calling from above, from above. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this day in particular, in the middle of the week, that we can set aside our cares and concerns of our everyday lives and 
just basically to recharge ourselves spiritually. We thank you, Lord, for the way that your scripture enlightens us and fills us. And we pray, Lord, that that experience will be true for all of us tonight as we consider what you have to say about the importance of reaping the harvest. I pray, Father, that you will help us as a church to be sensitive to those things that you need for us to do and help us to commit ourselves to that so that we'll be exactly what you intend for us to be as your church here in this community. I pray, Lord, that you'll help me as we're thinking together about this subject that I can express it in a way that's easy to grasp and I pray with those who hear it that they can accept it. And Lord, just change us. Make us as active individually as we can possibly be so that we'll be a a powerful force as a church body. Thank you for what you'll do with us and through us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight... I I want to stress the fact that, okay, so last week we were were sowing the seed, saw the importance and the responsibility and the various means by which we can be involved in sowing seed. Tonight, the extension of that. So we've sown the seed in men's hearts, and now we are responsible to reap the harvest that comes out of that. That can be a very exciting prospect. But, but it seems to me it was true for Jesus, apparently. And it also is true for us that somehow or other, the idea of reaping the result of the seed being sown sometimes is, I don't know, seen as a complicated thing or even a, a very frightening thing. It would be foolish, wouldn't it, for us to go through all the process of sowing seed, the expense, the energy that it takes, the resources, go to all the trouble to plant the seed, to sow it, but just let the seed die in the ground. Or even if the seed germinates, produces something, we don't ever harvest it. We don't ever take advantage of what's been produced. I don't know of any farmer who just goes about the prospect of planting seeds without actually harvesting what it is he's worked so hard to produce. Jesus made it pretty simple for us one time. The book of John chapter 4 and verse 37. He said, one sows and... Another reaps. <laughs> that's, a, that's a simple plan right there. It's a plan that emphasizes the idea of coordination. And just as a sermon I preached some weeks ago stressed that either we're planters or we are waterers, the same would be true with regard to the matter of evangelism. Some people are very good at sowing the seed, of getting the seed planted in a heart. Others are very good at taking that which is 
been planted and nurturing it so that ultimately it results in some product. In this case, the reaping of the salvation of a soul. Another text that stresses the importance of this idea of reaping is the book of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 37 and 38. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of harvest that he will send out laborers into his harvest. I want us to think first, generally. I want us to think about the harvesting of a of a soul. Now, John chapter 4, back at verse 35, Jesus told his disciples to lift up their eyes to the fields. He said, for they are already white for harvest. Lift up those eyes. I don't know what your practice is. Or I guess it's more the, the sensitivity that you have with regard to those who are around you. Sometimes when I go to a place that's filled with people, a big mall or even Walmart for that matter, I can't help it. My mind just causes me to dwell for a moment on all the people that are there. And I immediately start thinking, wait a minute, these are people who live in my town or live close to where I live, but I don't see anybody here that I know or anybody here that I recognize as being a member of the church or have any interest at all in things spiritual. And I think about a statement that the Apostle Paul made, which reflected the stark reality of many even yet today. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, it had to do with the prospect of not being in Christ, of not having that spiritual connection with God. He said that those people originally in reference to Israel, but certainly true of anybody outside of a relationship with the Lord, that they had no hope and were without God in the world. I see that kind of thinking in Jesus' mind. Now, for Jesus, he had been preaching the word. And now assembled before him and his disciples are prospects. People who had, had heard Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God and that seed has been planted in their hearts. And so realizing that the majority of those who are in the world are without God, here's a great opportunity. And Jesus says, pick your eyes up and look at this. The seed's been planted and so understand that it's white for harvest. It's ready. It's ready to go. Jesus 
sensitivity for those who were lost was seen in the idea of an awareness of his disciples. Pay attention to what's happening here. I wonder, Jesus stressing this idea of that harvest and of the gathering up of potential disciples, of knowing that the seed has been planted and that action needs to be taken, of what exactly he saw in their hearts. So lift up your eyes and look. When Jesus expressed his desire for those who were saved, he recognized that many who had heard that word were going to be rejecting the message that was preached. And the harvesting of souls was going to be dependent on their response to the message that they had heard. You remember in Acts chapter 2 and verse 16, The response to the message on that occasion was one that was supposed to be immediate. Here was a great persecutor of Christians, Saul of Tarsus, who has now heard the gospel. And hearing that gospel, he's now blinded for three days and uncertain, I guess, about God's expectations of him, but hopeful When Ananias comes to him in this text, he says this after proclaiming the truth about Jesus. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. There's a sense of immediacy in the idea of becoming a disciple of Jesus. So the seed's been planted, but you know the story of the seed that was sown and how that really a quarter of that seed that was sown was viable, that it fell on the good ground. Some of that seed had gone on the wayside, some of it on the rock, and some of it among thorns. And the idea was that every single seed that had great potential within itself was not able to grow in the heart that it landed upon. And had maybe somebody reached out to that prospect before the the demise of the seed, that Satan would not have been able to steal it out of the heart of the one that fell by the wayside. Or that temptation would not have been able to assail the one that fell among that of the rock and and perished in the heat. Or the one that had been taken by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life. If only that seed had been attended to earlier. Here Jesus says to his disciples, look, you know, raise your eyes up and take a look at what is happening right here. Saul of Tarsus was encouraged to act quickly. What are you waiting for? Arise. The immediacy of the response to the preaching of the gospel. Several years ago, 
there was a lady who, actually a college student, who wanted to obey the gospel. And we studied with her late into the night. It was midnight or later when finally she decided, yes, I want to obey the gospel. Here's what no one said on that occasion. They did not say, well, now we, un- we know you understand the truth, but it's kind of late and it's the middle of the week. Why don't we just go home and wait till Sunday? Or how about this? We'll schedule a time in order for you to be baptized. You just go home and have a good night's sleep. Nobody said that. And the reason why is because of the immediacy, the necessity in obedience to the gospel. When a person comes to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he died for them, they've become responsible to the extent that now, not only do I know that that's something I need to do, but now I recognize that until I do that, I am lost. So in this particular scenario, as soon as there was made the determination, I want to obey the gospel, action was taken, and that lady was baptized forthwith. But that's not the end of the story. She was so excited about her baptism, and by now it's like one or two o'clock in the morning. She was so excited about her baptism that she called her brother back home. She woke him up out of his sleep, you know. And he answered the phone, yeah, yeah, is there something wrong, something wrong? No, no. The greatest thing that's ever happened to me happened to me tonight, just a few minutes ago. Oh, really? Wow, it's kind of come to, you know, consciousness, and he's listening eagerly on the phone. What is it? What is it? I was baptized into Christ. I obeyed the gospel. And there was this long silence on the phone. And finally, here was his response. It was a question. You were baptized tonight? What, was this an emergency baptism? Now, he thought that was pretty funny. An emergency baptism. Who ever heard of such? I'll tell you who's heard of such. Bible believers. That's because baptism is an emergency action. It is the harvesting of a soul. It is that moment at which once that seed had been planted and a recognition and understanding of the truth that was planted resulted in a response. That response was not something that just could be put on hold and resolved at a later date or a more convenient time. It had become an emergency. And the reason is, if I die in this state between now and such time in the future as I would be baptized, I'll be lost because baptism is what will result in my salvation. It's the culmination of my obedience and the fulfillment of the gospel. Was it an emergency baptism? Yes, it was. In fact, every baptism is an emergency. God has called at least in the sense of the reaping of that which the seed has produced, that falls within the realm of urgency. 
of an emergency. Somebody's got to be responsible for that. Go to plant a seed, but somebody's got, somebody's got to go out there and actually do the work of reaping or bringing about the benefit of that which has been planted. Who's going to do that? Well, Jesus is going to stress for us the importance or the need of having reapers. So we go back to uh, Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38. And Jesus says, we got to pay attention to this harvest. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of harvest will send out laborers into his harvest. Okay, pray for laborers. You've read this text before, and, and I'm, I'm wondering, as you've read it on your own, what you thought to do. Maybe you thought, well, yeah, I want to pray for some people to do that. M- maybe in our mind we think, well, I, I want to pray that we'll have, I don't know, a minister of evangelism. <laughs> the, okay. You say that would satisfy it. Or maybe I'll I'll pray for, well, I know some people in the congregation that are are very, you know, knowledgeable of the scriptures and I'll I'll pray for them, that God will use them and and I feel like I have satisfied Jesus' sense of the completion of the work of God in the heart of somebody. Yeah, Lord, I pray that you will find those people, that you'll send them out there. Have you ever thought, though, of it this way? Kind of in the way Isaiah might would think of it. You know, Lord, here I am. Why don't don't you send me out into the harvest? Lord, why don't you use me as a laborer in your fields? I will say this that if your intention is to do just that and you pray that prayer, I have every confidence in the world that God's going to open that door for you and then there you'll be. Used by God for the purpose of accomplishing the work of a seed that was planted and the harvesting, reaping, of the result in that person's life, their response in their heart to the gospel. Now, laborers. We're praying for laborers. You could be that. 1 Peter 3, verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you, the questions that people would ask you with meekness and fear. You say, oh, I'll be ready. I'll respond with the truth. I, I, you know, I know what happened to me in terms of the gospel, so at least I could share that. Hey, that's great. You can be a laborer in this work. But I notice that there's an interesting play on these words, and that is the idea that they were to go into his fields. The word field there, fields, is is plural. It's not like God's sending them out into a field. He's sending them out into 
many fields in the sense that they are hearts, as was the design of that parable we looked at a moment ago, where the seed is planted in each individual heart. A field, fields, represents the multiplicity of hearts that can receive the word of God. So Jesus is praying, okay, we need laborers. I notice that what Jesus did not say was, we need observers. I need laborers, not observers. I need workers, not people to stand by and just watch what's happening. God has called us to action in our service to him. I wanted to ask a question to the group about why it is that you think Jesus said the laborers are few. I asked that question simply because I'm thinking, wait a minute, here's, here's an opportunity for a person to be involved in the salvation of another soul. I, somebody took the time, loved me enough to see to it that the truth was developed in me. And boy, I'm thankful for my salvation. And so since someone took that effort on my behalf, then I ought to, I ought to have that same desire to see a soul saved too. So I hear Jesus saying that the laborers are few. I'm pretty sure that that is true today. And I'm just asking for knowledge. Why is it you think that the laborers are few? Why is it that it's difficult to find people who will connect with others in order to bring about the completion of their salvation? You can just raise your hand, throw it up there, and I'll go, you. Yes. That's pretty strong. Okay. Now, why would you say it exactly that way? And putting, it, putting what you said, okay, here's one reason why the laborers are few, because there's a bunch of people who don't care about other people. Why would we say that? <laughs> okay, what, the evidence is in the, the proof is in the pudding, right? We say, all right, um, let's have some contributions in order to pay for house-to-house, heart-to-heart. And people, yeah, I'll do that because we can send to everybody's mailbox. Or here, we're going we're gonna to do these track things. So as I encouraged you last time, we're going to lay them around the community. Somebody's going to call back eventually and want to know more about the church. And hey, can we get a volunteer to do that? Most people are, are cool about supporting something that gets the word out there, either by, like we said, by the mailbox. They might support a television program, might support a radio broadcast. We'll, we'll pay for what's necessary to have equipment so we can do live streaming, on and on and on. The non-personal yet monetary effort to get the word out, we're all behind that. But what about where the rubber meets the road, where we have to put the foot soldiers on the path to go to the door to actually speak to a person? Many times that's a daunting 
thing. I, I tell you what, I, I don't know that I would want to go so far as to say people don't care about them. But the question then would be, if it's not going to be you to do it, who's supposed to do it? Did you know, and I know you do know because I mentioned this as a statistic in another series of lessons some time ago. And that was that every second, you remember this? Every second in the world, two people, actually statistically it's 1.8, but I don't know a 0.8 person. So let's round it up to two. Every second, there are two people who die somewhere in the world. Every second, two people. I look at that and I say, well, you know, that's, 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 that's a lot of people. And I don't know how I personally can make a difference with that. Okay, so I could do the television broadcast and whatnot and have all those, all of those lines of communication out there, but eventually somebody is going to have to make a contact with these people. Yeah, we can plant the seed, but somebody's got to follow up with that. The seed gets planted, but you know as well as I do, Jesus said sometimes when that seed is planted, there are circumstances that cause that seed not to germinate or grow as it ought to. And in large part, that's because we never get to those people in time. So here's somebody longing to know more, but I feel, wow, you know what? They're dying at a clip of two every second. And how would I ever, ever reach a person? And so we become disillusioned. I think that's, that's impossible. I can't possibly make a difference. Well, Maybe you've heard this story. If you have, just bear with me. But there was this old guy walking, no, on the beach there by the ocean. And he was just enjoying his time out there. And then he saw in the distance a little boy on the beach. And every once in a while he'd bend down and he'd pick up a starfish, looked like, and toss it out there in the water. And so the old man finally reached the young fella. He said, what, what are you doing there? He said, well, I, I'm, I'm throwing these starfish here in the water. He said, last night they came in on the tide. And then when the tide went back out, they were all stranded. So I'm just, I'm going along here and I'm trying to save as many of them as I can, trying to make a, trying to make a difference with them. The old man looked around. He said, now, son, there are thousands of starfish out here. You can't possibly make a difference with all these starfish. And the little boy bent down, picked up a starfish, tossed it in the water. He said, well, I made a difference with that one. And it may be, right? I look and I say, okay. There are two people in the world dying every second. That seems overwhelming. I couldn't possibly make a difference. But honestly, if each of us had a heart, if we love people, we, we love them to the degree we could, not, we could not stomach, could not live with ourselves in the knowledge that a soul would be lost. We had that kind of passion for the lost, then we would be making a difference at least with with somebody. And I'm thinking about that thing every second, to a second. 
I say, well, many seconds pass in a day and then several days go. And can you know, it is maybe it's it's days or weeks before I ever hear of anybody I actually know that dies. But then I'd have to ask myself of that person that I know who has died. They statistically became one of the two out of a second. I have to ask myself, what, what did I do? You know, what did I do in knowing this person to try and avert a catastrophe that has just been initiated by their death? No hope and without God in the world. Now, here's the heart. I'm going to say the attitude, the spirit that the Apostle Paul had about that scenario in particular. Now, we're talking about that guy who a moment ago learned the truth, realized the urgency of it, was told by Ananias to arise right now and be baptized and wash away your sins. That guy the one who was so committed himself. He had that same passion, that same heart, that same spirit and attitude for those who are lost himself. In Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 14, he said, I am a debtor to the Greeks and barbarians, to wise and unwise, and so much as is in me, to you who are in Rome also. My intention, he says, is to preach the gospel to you. And here's why, verse 16. It's because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul said, you know what? I'm going to preach the gospel. The reason I'm going to preach the gospel is because I am a debtor. I I have, as it were, a debt that I'm trying to pay. The Lord saved me, and now I am indebted to every other sinner because I have myself something powerful enough, the gospel of Jesus Christ, something powerful enough to save that soul. So the seed is planted, and then... We're to have the initiative, the desire to see the fulfillment of that, the harvesting of that which has been planted. Now, not only did the Apostle Paul speak that way, but Jesus, in the same context, and I'm thinking about Matthew chapter 6 and verse 36, Jesus uh, just prior to talking about the importance of the harvest and praying for people to go out there because it's time, everything is ready. Jesus, <coughs> in thinking about those who were a part of the multitudes that were following after him, the Bible says in this text that he had compassion for these multitudes. And the reason why he says is because they are weary and scattered as sheep that have no shepherd. They are weary, they are scattered, they don't have anybody to lead them. Now Jesus is is preaching to these multitudes, these throngs of people, they're having the seed of God planted in them. And Jesus' own estimation of the situation in his own time 
was that, you know what? With so much potential and so much active seed in the hearts of men, we don't have enough to be able to go and to take advantage of that which has been planted. The Lord is looking for reapers. Now, here's the other thing. The Bible teaches that there are two aspects to this. There's our responsibility, and then there is that which is God's responsibility. I say it, responsibility. The sense is, we have a responsibility. God has already made his commitment. And so, the success of the venture to save men's souls, a lot of that falls on us. Because we are the people who are planting the seeds. We are the people who are going out to cultivate and bring in the harvest. I'm thinking of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. Paul says, okay, I had a responsibility, Apollos had a responsibility. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. God gave the increase. Now the idea there is, okay, each of us, we have this role to play in the preaching of the gospel, of getting the seed into the, the heart of encouraging that, even of helping the person in their response to the gospel obey the gospel. But it is God who is the one who will give the increase. I'm afraid that sometimes maybe we get the idea that we're responsible for the increase. In other words, we feel like if, if we're not having the response or the success that we think we ought to have, that we want to tweak something or, or, or massage what we're doing or come up with some radical scheme in order to get results. God says, wait, wait a minute about that. Hold on. You do what I've commanded you to do, and that is to carry the gospel to the whole world, Mark sixteen fifteen. You be there to encourage the development and growth of that seed. And then I am going to give the increase. Now, I know that God is going to do his part if we don't somehow get in his way. The Apostle Paul, with that kind of thought in mind, said something that for many people is kind of shocking in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And verse 17, Paul says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should become of no effect. Now, some people look at that and say, oh, well, Paul said that, you know, baptism wasn't necessary. <laughs> that, is, that is far from what Paul taught. Baptism was necessary. But Paul's point there is, you know what? I wasn't sent by Jesus to go out into community and talk people into being immersed in water so that I could brag about the number of baptisms that I had. 
He said, my focus was not that at all. My focus, Paul says, was to preach the gospel. And the reason that I did it that way was, I didn't just go in and baptize a bunch of people to show results. That's God's work, not my work. My responsibility is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection. When I do that, then people in response to the gospel will want to be baptized. I won't have to talk them into anything. They will respond. And why will they respond? They will respond because of that cross. That's why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I want you to know Jesus and the sacrifice that He made for you and that His blood, motivated by a love for you, wash your, will wash your sins away. I don't come in and say, let's just, you know, let's all get baptized. If it were that simple... All we'd have to do is get some of our biggest, strongest guys to go out there on the highway or in the mall or at the Walmart and grab anybody that we think had never been baptized before and just force them into the water. That doesn't result in salvation. What results in the development of a child of God is everybody, and this is kind of an in vogue statement, I guess, everybody staying in their lane. I do what is my responsibility and you yours in sowing the seed, in helping to harvest the seed that's been planted, of watering seed to see that it grows and is nurtured, and then God will do his part in giving the increase. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8 says that each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. God isn't interested in simply observers. He's looking for laborers, people who will be active in the process of the saving of souls. So let's just do that. You know, let's, let's be a part of the harvest Let's do the two things that we've talked about in these subsequent lessons. Let's sow the seed and let's reap the harvest. Let's pray that God will bless those efforts and that God will send us, and I hope you'll pray for yourself as a laborer, that God will send us those who can work and bring about the salvation of souls in our community. Let's have a prayer together, and then we'll be finished. And after the prayer, if you'll wait just like 15 seconds, let our parents get out to their kids, that'd, that'd be great. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege that we have to study. And we thank you, Lord, for, well, for your simple plan for us to sow and to reap. I pray, Lord, you'll help us to be aware of our own abilities resources, make a determination about what part we can play, and then to be busy doing it. Not to pray to you that you will enlist someone else to do our work, but that we will have the, I guess, courage to ask you to send us
And Lord, I pray that in that, that not only will we have confidence and courage to uphold our part of this equation, but to know with a certainty that you will give the increase when we've been faithful to our task. It is a privilege to be in fellowship with you to the end of the saving of souls. And we pray that you'll give us great success here in our community and that we will rejoice in seeing souls added to the body here. Thank you for the blessing of your word that gives us the instruction how to do that. Just give us a burden on our heart to be active. In Jesus' name, amen.